Now, when I can only get through one paragraph of scripture, that's when you know that it's dense and beautiful and has so much meaning inside of it to unpack. But if I could only get through one verse, that, that's when you know that this is special. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a reminder to us of that as we go through the scripture, even as we're reading in our own personal devotions, sometimes there's wisdom in slowing down. Really taking time to digest what we're reading because there could be so much to unpack in each verse sometimes. And you know, it's funny. We've, uh, I, I did the math last night. We've now spent about six hours worth of teaching in the gospel according, in, in, not, not, the, not even the gospel according to Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. That's just how much there is in this 15, 20 minute sermon if you're to sit down and read it. So just an encouragement to you guys that there's just so many beautiful things to contemplate in the scriptures this morning. So let's dive in so that I don't end up making this a two-part message on one verse. Anyway, the, the ESV translates the first word of this verse in verse 12 as so. And some translations I noticed actually take that word out. And I'm guessing it's because they didn't understand why it was there in the first place. Because they, and they inadvertently make it harder to make the connection between this verse and the verses prior. Because, uh, however, many other good translations say either so there or a favorite word of mine in Scripture, therefore, in some of your translations. And as you guys might remember from a couple of weeks ago, every time we see the word therefore, we have to ask what it's there for. <laughs> We don't begin a, a paper or any writings or an article with the word so or therefore. It always connects to thoughts. So the question is, what connection is Jesus trying to make here? What is this so connecting? And I see two valid answers to that question. Uh, the first con- the first uh, con- um The first context that he's connecting is the first 11 verses of this chapter. As Jesus Jesus has been going through this Sermon on the Mount, we've been going, this last section beginning in verse 7 is to be describing the role of the citizen of the kingdom of God in our community. And what better way is there to describe our role in our community than the golden rule? It summarizes our role perfectly. I mean, you know, going back to verse 1 of this chapter, nobody wants to be judged hypocritically like the Pharisees did. We would want fair judgment. And so apply the golden rule. That's a great summary of this text. And we should apply that to every area of our public lives. But yet the, the more immediate context for that so or therefore is verse 11. Where it says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so, follow the logic here. It took me quite some time to see the connection here myself. But as, if a father knows how to give good gifts to his sons or his children, then you know how to give good gifts To each other. You know how to give good gifts to each other and do good things to each other. 
And since you know it, do it. Do it. Give good gifts to each other. Be kind and compassionate towards each other. Follow the golden rule, if you will, towards each other. We all intuitively know how to do good, good things and give good, good gifts to each other. So apply that logic to your community and you have fulfilled the golden rule. But it's not that simple because the problem is we don't. We don't. And I think part of the reason is because we actually don't know what this verse means. But we think we do. Because, frankly, much of this verse's profundity has been lost because there's a counterfeit version of this that has really proliferated its way through our culture. So let, let me ask you a question. Close your Bibles for a second. What is the golden rule? How would you summarize it to me? It would, some of you, no doubt, might be thinking something along the lines of, oh, d don't do anything you don't want done for yourself. You know, don't, don't harm anybody. Be a good person. That's actually not what the golden rule is. There's a subtle but profound difference there. I call that the silver rule because it's good, but it's not golden. It's not as valuable because it's a negative statement. Don't do things. Refrain from doing bad things. But look back at your Bibles. What does it say? Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's phrased positively, not negatively. It's, an, it's a call to action, not a refrain from doing things, but a, a call to go do these things. I keep seeing that word do because that's what the golden rule is. And there are many versions of this counterfeit silver rule in our culture. 500 years before Christ even, Confucius had said that. He said, um, do not impose on others what you do not wish for yourself. Uh, the Code of Hammurabi from, uh, from ancient Babylon said essentially the same thing. And 100 years before Christ, even the Rabbi Hillel said this some version of the silver rule. Uh, all of them have this concept, but they only phrased it in the negative sense. So many others did. The Greeks did. The Romans did. The Egyptians did. The Zoroastrianists, the Buddhists, the Jainists, the Sikhists, the Taoists. And I say all this just so you know I did my homework on this. <laughs> and as someone who has studied world religions, I can assure you, nobody phrased this in the positive tense in an in a action-based sense before Jesus Christ. He, this is a radical new teaching. So why am I going into such detail about this? Why am I harking on so much about this silver rule? Because so many people erroneously teach that the golden rule wasn't actually invented by Jesus. Oh, it's been around for years, and others have brought it for centuries, some version of his teaching. He only borrowed it from other teachers, but that's not the case. And frankly, people who believe that are subtly teaching, if you follow their logic, that, oh, Jesus isn't that unique. His teachings weren't that radical. We don't have to follow him. 
That's the underlying assumption. That he, it's just another religion teaching the same thing. Just don't do bad things to each other and everything is fine. That's not what the scripture teaches. And I, I say all this now because it's becoming a problem. I mean, this wasn't a problem looking around this room that most of you guys had when you were growing up in the church. The, the, this confusion between the silver and the golden rule. Um, it really wasn't discussed from the pulpit. Pastors and theologians maybe discussed it over tea on occasion, but it just wasn't something that had proliferated through the culture. We don't have that luxury anymore. You know, the average person today, especially young people, myself and younger, have bought into that lie. I've had so many conversations with people that just say, oh, Jesus had the same moral teachings as everybody else. Why do I need to become a Christian? And, they, and they've asked that question to others and never got a good answer. And they left the church, many of them, because they were convinced nobody in the church has answers. Even pastors don't have answers to some of these questions because they haven't been equipped. And so, guys, the, the, the time for the church to have answers to these questions was yesterday. Was yesterday. It, it, we're overdue to be able to assure our friends and our family members and the people who we can influence that the truths of the Bible are unique, that Jesus is worth following, that the gospel is unlike any other world religion, anything else that you will see being offered. And so somebody has to love this next generation enough to engage them with these truths. So that's why I'm taking some extra time to unpack that this morning. Because I can't, I, you know, I get the privilege of being up here every week, but I don't get the privilege of being in most of your living rooms. I don't get the privilege of being there at your family reunions when you have the, the young nephew that has tough questions about the Bible. And they won't always accept the answer, oh, well, you can email my pastor and ask him those questions. We have to go out there and engage the culture. So, so, what, so what, what's the difference? Is, is the difference between the silver rule and the golden rule really that important? You see, it is. And it's a profound difference because most people keep the silver rule. Nobody keeps the golden rule. Nobody. Because you see, the silver rule is don't do anything you don't want done to yourself. Most of us do that. I mean, let's put that in the context of driving, for instance. You know, most of us don't go out there and drive aggressively, road rage, yelling at people, honking the horn at people. Most of us refrain from doing that. Which actually is becoming an accomplishment if you've ever driven on Route 9. Maybe that is not such a bad example. But nobody likes that, and most of us refrain from doing so. But the golden rule is to do unto others what we desire to have done to ourselves. So let's put that back on Route 9, for example. What does the golden rule look like on Route 9? Well, let's just say you're driving one day and there's traffic, and you find out there's an accident. And you get out of your car and you see some car that's been absolutely destroyed. 
And you come up to the family and you see somebody literally about to be airlifted to a local hospital because they've been injured so badly. And as you're walking by, you see someone who's obviously this person's wife. And you go up to that person and you say, I'm so sorry for, to hear about what happened. Here's my credit card. Use this to cover your expenses for the next couple of days. Put your medical bills on this card. I want to take care of you. Now that would be a radical display of love. That would be the golden rule displayed on Route 9. Now, I'm not making that example up out of nowhere, by the way. Some of you might have been picking up. I'm basically modernizing the Good Samaritan parable that Jesus has called us to do, which was an explanation of our first reading from Leviticus 19 this morning. So that's what we're called to do. And by the way, that's not even a perfect illustration. If it was really a modernization of the, 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 the Good Samaritan parable, the guy being airlifted would have to be an enemy of the state. Someone who was not friendly towards us. So the, that's the difference that we're talking about here between the silver rule and the golden rule. The best the silver rule can tell us to do is not to harm other people. But the golden rule compels us to go into this world, to, be, uh, to display the radical love of Jesus to this world around us. These two are almost incomparable between the two. The silver rule says don't intentionally injure someone, but the golden rule says write cards and visit the injured. Go to those who are hurt. The silver rule says don't give out poison on Halloween to the children. The, the golden rule says give out those king-size candy bars. And tell your pastor with three young kids where you live. But on a more serious note, no, we do unto others what we would want done unto ourselves. And let me tell you right now, my office is littered with cards that I've received from many of you guys over this last year. From when I had my back surgery, from when I lost my mom, and you guys offered your condolences. That was you guys fulfilling the golden rule, giving to me what I would want, what you would want. The love of the community coming alongside you in your time of hurting, in your time of need. That's following the golden rule. That is making a difference. And by the way, on some of those notes about the Good Samaritan and what have you, not only does this teaching, this verse summarize this section of Jesus' sermon, Jesus tells us it summarizes the whole Old Testament law. How profound is that? Look, look at what it says. It says, for this is the law and the prophets. Think about it. Out of the 613 Old Testament commandments, Jesus here reduces all the ones that relate to our neighbors of our person-to-person -person relations down to this one, the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have done unto you. And you can do that. You can go through it line by line through the whole Old Testament. Every law relating interpersonal reactions can come back to this. Uh, for instance, I marked off uh, Deuteronomy 22, verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to read it real quickly, and you can see the parallel of how this ties so quickly and easily into the golden rule. 
where it says in this fairly obscure passage, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you or does not know where he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. You see that parallel, that we don't have the luxury of just ignoring others, but we go and help them when we have the opportunity to do so. You know, a neighbor of mine at my own home could choose to ignore it if a pet of mine happens to wander away. You know, that's technically within their rights to do so, but not if they're a Christian. No, we're called to do something about it. You know, go help. Bring my pet back to me. Or at least call me so I can do something about it. You know, do something like that. Because that's what I would want done, done to me, and I should be willing to do the same for others. And, and again, you can go through the whole Old Testament, all of these seemingly obscure laws, and see, oh, that's what God was getting at in the book of Numbers, in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Deuteronomy, and those big lists of laws. They're all basically detailing how we can fulfill this one commandment, how we can love others as we would want done unto ourselves. That is what the law is. To love others enough to do something for them. To do something about their situations. And thus fulfill, as we said before, the second greatest commandment. You know, to, 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 uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. Which, by the way, the strength for the second greatest commandment comes from the first greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength through loving the Lord and prioritizing him, that we would love God so much and that our love for him would lead us to love others more. Now, if you understand what I'm teaching this morning, we should feel a little bit of a tension in our own hearts. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, we should feel this burning in our hearts saying, yes, this is right this is good. This is the way things should be. This is what we are called to do. But at the same time, there's a conviction that comes with it as well. A conviction of knowingly saying, we don't do this, do we? We don't love others like this, to this degree. That we don't love our neighbors as ourselves. We don't. I, I haven't given my credit card to a stranger and offered their med to cover their medical bills. We haven't loved others to this high calling that Jesus places it. You know, I might live my life trying not to harm people and keeping the silver rule to the best of my ability. I might call myself a good person for trying to do good in this world, but not this much. If we all must confess it for honest, we have fallen short of this command. 
And so as we're contemplating these two thoughts, you know, this joy of expression that this is so right, but yes, I've been so wrong. There's this tension. It's like playing a chord on a piano or an organ or a guitar where the notes are just in tension. There's dissonance. It's like, ah, this, this is uncomfortable to hear. You've all heard what that sounds like. And the tonic chord that resolves the dissonance between all of Jesus' code of law and conviction over our sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the fact that Jesus loves us and took the penalty of the curse of the law for us so that we wouldn't experience condemnation for our falling short. So that now we can experience his forgiveness, his grace in our lives. Where there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8.1 reminds us. How mercy triumphs over judgment, as James 2.13 reminds us. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been living with that tension of balancing in your own mind the justice that the law demands, but at the same time, your own sinfulness and how the grace and the love and forgiveness of God all reconciles. And the only place where it does, where it comes together, is the cross of Jesus Christ. Where judgment for sin was poured out, but not on the sinner, but on the sin bearer, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So now the payment for my pardon has been paid for. So now as God looks at my record of sin, he doesn't see all these areas in the law where I have failed to love my neighbor as myself, where I have failed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Rather than seeing a record of wrongs, if we could see an invoice of our sins, every line for those of us who were in Christ had been scratched off and written in there, paid in full at the bottom of my bill of sin. That is what Jesus has done for us. For all of us here this morning who call upon the name of the Lord, who believe in that he is the Son of God and went to the cross for our sins, that is what he offers each one of us this morning. So we can look at this high calling of ethics that we do not live up to. And yes, we are encouraged to and inspired to, to live to this higher calling. And encouraged to do so, but yet not feel the sting of conviction, of of condemnation rather, because of the forgiveness and grace that our Heavenly Father has given us. Thanks be to God. Amen.